0: Welcome to the Blaze Side Podcast, brought to you by Cambridge University Science magazine.
1: I'm Ruby. And I'm Simone. Every two weeks, we speak to local researchers, university staff and students, and anyone who works in science to learn about their research and activities, hear about the work that they do, and uncover what goes on behind the scenes. If you want to get in
0: touch with a question, suggestion, or just want to be featured on the podcast, just drop us a tweet. Um, Our handle is at bluesidepod.
1: And you can also email us at bluesidepodcast at gmail.com. two of our interview with professor Andrea Armani, professor of chemical engineering and material science at the University of Southern California.
0: In part one we spoke to her about her research so if you haven't listened to that then feel free to check it out afterwards Um, and this episode we're going to speak to her about the her involvement in running the photonics online meetup which was one of the first virtual conferences if not the first virtual conference fully virtual conference which was held earlier in January this year.
1: She tells us how they managed to coordinate it and shares the results of the post-conference evaluation from the attendees, which was really interesting. They even managed to run a full poster session completely virtually. So uh, listen to this episode to see how they managed to pull it off.
0: Recently, you were one of the co-chairs of the um, Photonics online meetup, which was, I believe, one of the first, if not the first big kind of online-only Conference?
2: Yes, uh, I was.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, that's quite uh, That's
2: not true anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, now everyone's,
0: everyone's jumping on the virtual conference train.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: but how did the idea for the online photography to come about? Because obviously it wasn't out of necessity, it was because you thought that it was a good thing to do. So how was that? How did that happen?
2: Um, so it actually kind of was originally started as a conversation on Twitter um, in October. Of last year, so well before any kind of health need. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started it. Um, there were, you know, it, was, it kind of been like percolating on Twitter like once a year or so. There were conversations on Twitter about how basically everybody was really tired of traveling. Um, and everybody was tired of going to conferences and traveling for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, first, conferences are expensive. And just the cost factor really limits who can go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as I mean, conferences just for reference have probably doubled in cost over the last five years. Like registration fees have gotten more expensive, airfares gotten more expensive, hotels have gotten more expensive, Um, and just with that cost increase, it means now, you know, instead of having a lot of students at conferences, now it's much more limited to faculty. And really conferences are more beneficial to students to begin with um so that's you know rather disappointing that there are fewer students going and so that's kind of like one reason was to try to like re-engage students in yeah make it more accessible i guess yes just make it more accessible to students um and then uh the second uh reason was you know to try to improve early career researcher attendance um and by that uh you know early career researchers who may have, you know, other responsibilities, right? Maybe they have families, maybe they're taking care of parents, right? Like just many, many reasons. Um, Also improve access to people who perhaps can't travel or have problems traveling. Um, So there were, there were just many reasons. And then, you know, there's obviously the environment, right? Like if we can reduce airfare, Mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, From my personal perspective, I, I got, I was just tired of traveling. I, I love my husband um i want to spend more time with him and like it had gotten to the point that i was traveling every other week uh which is just exhausting (laughs) like uh, yes it's a lot um and it also Mm -hmm. like takes a toll on your health yeah right Mm -hmm. when you're like on a plane traveling every other week and then you also aren't able to spend as much time with your group members as you want with your family as you want um and so it just yeah it just takes a toll we decided to to create this online conference, um, and, and there were six of us. And um, our original goal was to have like 100 people come. Mm-hmm. Uh, At the end it was like 1,000,
0: right? It, <laughs> like, it was insane. It was, it
2: was like, yeah, it was over 1,100. Wow. Um, wow. But our goal was, you know, if we got 11, if, if we got 100 people to come, we were gonna like call it a success. Mm-hmm. Um, because our thought was, you know, we're gonna have this online conference, First off, no one's ever had an online conference before, so who's going to want to, like, come and spend a day with us? And we're going to have a call for abstracts to submit to our online conference, but who's going to submit an abstract to something they've never heard of? Especially, like, in today's society when there are so many, Mm -hmm. like, conferences that are just trying to get your money. Um, We also were worried that people were going to think that we were – it was, like, a scam,
0: Mm -hmm. right yeah because there are so many scams that that go
2: around (laughs) right there's so many scams um so like in in every single post we we said like on our website we kept like emphasizing like this is not a scam like like (laughs) like this is really free there is no catch like we're not after your money
0: so how Um, how did the infrastructure work because if you made it free i guess you had to find money from elsewhere to host it on some kind of virtual platform or were you able to use yep. things that were for free or how did that work
2: So we actually used Webex basically the like the first day when we started having this informal um, like Twitter going back and forth conversation who uh, who is my co-chair he suggested we could use Zoom cuz we could have 300 people on Zoom right and we assumed we wouldn't have more than 100 so 300 sounded like way more than enough yeah. um and I was like, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Like, yeah, we don't think we're going to have more than 100, but I'd rather like plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I want to have some IT support. Mm-hmm. So and USC is something called a distance education network, which is basically online learning. And mm-hmm. we've had like an online learning program for 40 years. Like it's really well established. Wow. So I emailed our DEN program staff um, and like included my dean on the email. And I was like, I'm thinking about holding an online conference for a day. Would you support me in this? And if so, here is a whole list of questions. Um, and so the head of the den program emailed the dean and was like, you know, are you giving us a budget to do this? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever Andrea wants. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so basically USC foot the bill. So that was that was that would have been a huge bill. Um, but because we used WebEx, we could have, like, a thousand uh, parallel streams. Um, so we didn't have to rely on free software. And um, we got the IT support uh, when, you know, thing, to do the recording, to, you know, clean up the recording, all of that. And so that was how we were able to, you know, handle it.
0: And how about um, so- the kind of structure of the day itself? Like, were, did you have lots of, like, parallel Taught, like was it kind of like attending a conference, but you, instead of moving, you were just on your screen, or how did that kind of work? Was it did it as the number of participants grew, did you have to modify that, or
2: so? So we actually thought about doing that, um, and then we quickly realized that seeing as we'd never done this before, we weren't sure if we wanted to trust ourselves with expanding it beyond having three sessions. So we opted to have just three sessions serially. Um, so morning, morning in Los Angeles, uh, morning and then two afternoon sessions, which, you know, in some places was, you know, evening and very early morning. But it, it worked out well uh, going with that route um, because in the end, it turns out to be a lot of planning just to do that. Um, you know, after, after this point, we now, so it'd be a lot easier to expand it. But you know, this was the first like workshop or anything that I'd ever chaired, um, it was the first one that had been done online. So a lot of things we were kind of making up as we went along and it was, we learned a lot while doing
1: yeah. it. it. Sounds like uh, despite all that, it was an absolutely sort of resounding success and because of that. Do you think that it could change perspectives on how useful are traditional conferences and could more online conferences be the way forward, especially as you said, there are becoming more and more barriers to getting out into different places to go to these conferences. So what what are your perspectives on that?
2: So I, I think we definitely will see more online conferences, it's especially in particular right now. But then I think the fact that more conferences are almost being forced to go online, it's going to make researchers more comfortable with online conferences. So mm-hmm. it's almost becoming a chicken and an egg, right? Like before, researchers weren't comfortable with online conferences, and they'd never had to do it. So therefore, they continued to be not comfortable. Um, yeah. And now, as researchers are, you know, being forced to do this, uh, they're becoming more comfortable with the format, and so in the fu- therefore, in the future, I'm betting we will either see more online conferences or more hybrid conferences, where there may be, you know, an in-person component, but people could call in if they wanted to, and and I think that at least option of allowing people to call in if they want to is something that should have happened a long time ago. And it yeah. just hasn't um, yeah
1: yeah it's really strange actually you're saying that because i I've, I've never considered that but it seems so obvious especially as we're having thankfully a, a large rise in the number of women scientists and sort of rise in paternity leave maternity leave and all those sorts of things and if there were more ways and to get involved in these types of things even if you're not physically going to the conference i mean yeah like you said surely that's better than nothing uh, so, yeah, hopefully it will really set a precedent for this type of things. Have you have you had anyone contact you following the conference, saying things to the same effect? Did people come away from it wanting to sort of replicate it in their own way? Or
2: So in the month immediately following, we had a lot of student groups contact us. Um, and then in the last month, it has been uh, just... An in an incredible number of groups. Um, so like the Optical Society of America and the European Physics Society and ACS. Um, so like large, large societies um, mm-hmm. who are trying to figure out how to shift their annual meetings, like their large meetings online. Uh, whereas before, it was more like you know smaller student chapters or small at least in the US, we have something called an NSF ERC, which is an engineering research center, which is, you know, a group of maybe twenty faculty. So like smaller ERCs trying to shift meetings online. Whereas in the last month it's much larger societies who realize they need to do this and they're trying to figure out, you know, lessons we learned and how they can do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I guess they don't really have an option anymore, so.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't have an option, so they need to do it. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is, like, as we were organizing it, you know, we, we teamed up with the Optical Society of America so they could support their student chapters in attending. And in, we obviously were communicating with them throughout it, and... You know, I told them I was like, you know, you really should think about doing something like this for your, you know, upcoming conferences. And they're like, oh no, no, no we'll never do it. It's <laughs> oh like okay. <laughs> I'm like, you, you really should think about it. <laughs> but
0: and now they're so, like, oh, we should have really thought about that. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we really should have thought about that and and planned for it. You know, had like a contingency plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay because because they do now. But no, it's I'm really glad we did it because we had like three and a half months to plan. So we put like a lot of thought into a lot of different things.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess the fact that it was so successful, and it, and it worked out so well, sets a really good precedent for that kind of conference, because I guess a lot of people are quite skeptical of how effective it is to go to a virtual conference. And, you know, I can just watch of uh, videos online anyway. So like, why would I bother taking a day right. um, to, to just attend these meetings? But I guess you have an example of how actually it worked really well. And it wasn't that you were forced in that situation, but actually came up with it in a way that wasn't going to be constructive and was going to be useful to people. Have you had instances where people have changed their minds about how effective a virtual conference can be?
2: Yes. So a lot of my colleagues, right? So I, I'm a faculty member. So a lot of my colleagues were perhaps the, the most dismissive. Um, so Orad, who is my, who's my co-chair, um, he's currently a postdoc. So, you know, his postdoc colleagues were super supportive and very excited about this. Um, In contrast, a lot of my more senior faculty colleagues were incredibly dismissive um, and said, you know, that nobody would attend anything like this. Um, So we had, he and I had two very different experiences in interacting with our colleagues, um, which was also interesting for the two of us. Um, And then after it happened uh, and uh, our colleagues, you know, were making comments later, you know, his, his friends were still you know, just over the moon about how great it was Mm -hmm. and how much fun they had. Um, And my colleagues, you know, were also, they didn't attend, but they were talking about how much their students learned. Mm -hmm. And so they realized that suddenly, you know, now instead of only one of their students attending talks, you know, all of their students attended talks and they were able to do it for free, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which, you know, if they tried to send all of their students, you know, for example, some of their have, you know, student groups with like 10 or 15 students. You know, if you try to send 10 students to one conference, that's $20,000. Yeah. Yeah. Like $20,000 is almost half of paying a student for a year. Like that's a lot of money um, and you simply can't afford to do that. So it's, you know, suddenly becomes really just, it makes really good financial sense. So even if you can't convince, you know, a faculty member of the intellectual benefit, you can at least convince them the of the economic benefit. benefit, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The financial benefit, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I'll I'll take any argument I can get, mm-hmm. uh, so I I could make that one,
1: mm-hmm,
2: uh, yeah. you know. And the the other benefit at, that we could do then that obviously we can't do now um, is we also had hub sites. And hub sites were places that people could come together, like students, faculty, senior researchers, also people from industry, could come together and watch the talks, like as a group, almost Mm -hmm. like you would watch a seminar. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Obviously, we can't do that now. But the hub sites were really popular. Some people
0: from my lab met up to watch it together.
2: (laughs) Yes. So unfortunately, we can't do hubs now. Mm -hmm. But the hubs were really popular. Uh, People made like... You know, a Twitter bingo for palm. Some people baked cakes. Yeah. So, so the hubs were a huge hit.
0: And how about poster sessions? Did you were you able to have a poster session as well? Right? Like, was it on a website or?
2: So we had a Twitter poster Mm -hmm. session. Yeah, we had a Twitter poster session, which was also very popular. There were pros and cons. So we actually did like an educational effectiveness analysis after the event.
0: Well, I'll also give you my next question. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Uh, So I have a colleague at USC who is in the School of Education and this is what she does. So I asked her to join in with the educational effectiveness analysis. Um, So she wrote pre and post event surveys, which we used. So the Twitter poster session, the main complaint about it um, was that not everybody has a Twitter account, mm-hmm, which I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few people really didn't want to make a Twitter account because they had personal negative opinions about Twitter, um, which I can't control. But no matter what social media we chose, there's always going to be someone who doesn't want to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have an alternative for researchers that didn't want to make a Twitter account or use, like, or their group didn't have one. Um, and the conference had a Twitter account. And we would post posters from the conference Twitter account. So we, we had an alternative. And overall, the Twitter poster session went well. From my perspective, I think it was actually better than a normal poster session. And there were a lot of comments to that effect, uh, simply because at a normal poster session, you know, if there are, let's say, 100 posters, I may see four of them and like actually get to look at four of them get to ask questions of four of them simply because of time whereas with the twitter poster session you know i could look at four of them one hour you know go back to work then look at four of them the next day
0: and i guess they're there for forever so you can always go back to them at any point (laughs)
2: yeah Yeah. you can always go back to them um some people made like a twitter thread you know, so they would have like their poster and then they would have like a linked comment with like a link to a relevant paper. Mm-hmm. I guess it you makes know, it easier
0: a... to share papers than having random prints that you've printed out or things like that. And yeah. and yeah, it's quite cool.
2: Yeah. So it was it was very interactive. You know, instead of having to trade business cards, you know, and then like follow up with emails with a business card that if I'm being honest, I'm more than likely lost because I'm really bad, you know, I can now just DM the person who posted the poster Hmm, um, because it's there. (laughs) It's really easy. So it's like, you know, direct contact with the person whose poster it is, you know, or I can look at the poster. If I have a really easy question, I can look up my really easy question. And then when I actually ask a question, you know, it's, it's like a little bit harder. You know, it's not, oh, when you made your device, you know, did you make it out of silica? Mm-hmm. Right, like it, it's something it's a little bit harder. Yeah, um, and I guess you
0: have a chance to go read the paper if you're wanting to get more context and then asking a question that's actually more helpful to you and to them as well and can lead to a better discussion.
2: Exactly, you know, and, and if it's a really exciting poster, you know, I, I'm not just gonna walk away if there's somebody else asking questions, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I tend to do in a poster session because I don't want to like interrupt somebody else's question. So it's just it, the whole format actually, I found really, really helpful. So that was, that was really nice.
1: Uh, Yeah, I guess it also combats um, poster fatigue as well and conference fatigue because whenever I go to a conference, I'm desperately interested in what everyone's doing. But there's a sort of saturation point and if you can kind of meter it at your own pace, then that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. so uh, you you had this sort of evaluation system in as a way to sort of measure how, how the conference went. What were the sort of main points from that compared to a traditional one? Was there anything that came out specifically?
2: Um, so I would say the I'll start with the negatives first that way I can I can end talking about positives. <laughs> so the the main negatives, so the first had to do with audio quality, which we, You know, we tried to anticipate by doing sound checks with the speakers in advance, but, uh, you know, the speakers are adults, and they, you know, chose not to do things like use headsets for their sound. Mm. So despite us, you know, strongly requesting it. Um, So I'm actually holding another event week after Next, um, and in that uh, event, um, Photonic Spectra, which is an optics magazine, um, generously uh, purchased all of my speakers' headsets. (laughs) which everybody has to wear. So nobody has an excuse. (laughs) Uh, Everybody will have good sound. And the the second complaint um, had to do with Q&A. So we used the embedded chat feature in WebEx to do Q&A. And while that worked well if you were like an individual logged on, um, it didn't work well if you were in a group because then you had to walk up to the computer to input your question, it, it was just, it was awkward. So for the event we're holding in June, we're gonna use Slido. So Slido is a web app that's basically specifically designed for interacting or interactions between an audience and a speaker. So there's lots of different like ways to interact and engage. Um, so the positive things we got or the positive feedback. um, I would say the most interesting positive feedback that we did not anticipate had to do with the ability of people in the audience to talk during the talks. Hmm. Um, So what would happen is, and I also saw this in my own hub, is that you would have a speaker speaking and giving a presentation, and then a student in the audience would have a question. And because everybody knew that the talks were going to be posted online, so they knew that they weren't "quote unquote" missing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of the students would turn to the person next to them and ask questions, so so effectively interrupt the speaker, but not actually interrupt the speaker, um, so that the students really learned and they never got lost during the talks. And so having, it was like an informal yet formal presentation. And so mm-hmm. I thought, I found that really interesting. So it really created a much better and richer learning environment for all the students, um, which we didn't anticipate. And then of course, there were you know, a lot of comments about you know, being able to watch talks with pets, you know, being able, you know, it was the only conference where people could you know, drink beer and watch talks or watch talks in their PJs. So just being a much more relaxed environment. So that was a huge benefit as well that people really enjoyed. Um, But I I really think the fact that uh, you could, you knew that you were going to be able to watch the talks again. So then you really focused on understanding what was being said as opposed to, you know, trying to be a well-behaved audience member, Hmm. um, which I think can often uh, result in, you know, not learning anything, um, which isn't the point of seeing a talk. Yeah,
0: and did you th- think that people maybe asked more questions than they would have usually as they were just you know, behind a screen as opposed to having to raise their hand in a room full of 200 people or something? Or was that kind of so, the same?
2: I think they they asked the same number of questions to the speaker, mm-hmm. um, but I think they probably asked many more questions to their peers. Right, okay. Because I know in the room I was in, Um, there was almost a constant murmur um, of people like talking to each other and so it and it was it wasn't that they were talking to each other about what their weekend plans were Mm -hmm. Um, it was you know people talking to each other for example during uh, one of the meta materials talks um, about people talking to each other about what the difference was between like a surface plasmon wave at a surface versus on a nanoparticle Mm-hmm. So it, uh, you know trying to understand those those types of nuances so it was it was really interesting to to see that
0: and are you thinking of having the, the conference in again next year I presume
2: so we're, we already have one planned for June and it's actually going to be hosted the you know center organization is eth mm-hmm So the time zone will be more Europe-Asia centric as opposed to U.S. Europe centric, which will be great for Asia this time. And the chairs are uh, Raquel Grange and uh, Ricardo Sapienza. And then we're going to have another one uh, next January, again hosted at USC. So our goal is to have two a year where one is Europe-Asia centric and the other is U.S europe centric. Mm,
1: that's a great idea. So if if any of our listeners wanted to get involved with that where could they find that information or is it still in the planning processes?
2: <laughs> uh, so we just announced the the dates um and by just I mean this morning oh, wow. which <laughs> is why I don't remember the dates because We've been debating them over the last four days, and I don't remember which ones we finally <laughs> agreed on. Um, but I know it's it's near the end of June, but everything will be announced on the Twitter account. And the Twitter account is at Photonics Meetup. And we're making a new web page, which right now is still in its formation. But again, the new web page will also be on the Twitter account.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, watch this space then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That
2: and, and that should appear in like the next couple of days as well. Um,
0: okay, so by the time we put out this episode then, which will probably be next week, then all right. the information will be up. So, yeah, just Google Photonics Online Meetup and all the info yes. will
2: be there. <laughs> exactly. Just do that. It'll all be there. Mm-hmm.
0: And if our listeners want to get to know more about your research and what you do, how can they find you?
2: Um, so. I have a research group webpage, and it's armani.usc.edu, or you can just Google Armani USC, and I usually pop up.
0: And you said okay. you're hosting an event next week, and another online
2: yes. event. Yes, yes. Um, so the one I'm hosting next week is actually not specific to photonics. It is designed for. So there's four four kind of sections. Um, So the first section is um, I'm giving a talk that's kind of an overview of the PhD process. So getting a PhD, applying for PhD programs, things like that. So just kind of like a big picture overview for students who are thinking about getting a PhD, but they aren't really sure what it is or how to go about it. So really undergrads. And then the next three um, sessions are panels. So the first one is a panel of three faculty members uh, who are involved in admissions decisions um, at, at universities in the US? Um, the second panel is a group of three recent PhD graduates, so in the last couple years, um, at different universities in the US um, discussing choosing a PhD advisor. Uh, and then the last panel, in this, so the first three are more for undergraduates or Maybe students who are thinking about you know they're in the workforce and they're thinking about going back and getting a phd all right mm-hmm. uh, the last one is really for undergrads or current phd students or even postdocs um, so the last one is uh, three researchers who have phds in physics ee and biology um, and they're now working in industry in different fields so they're you know they're no longer Doing what their main goal was, and they're not in academia, Mm -hmm. right? So it's basically, you know, what can you do with a PhD other than be a professor? Because most undergraduates only think about academia, right? Mm Because the only most the only PhDs they know are academia, Um, and at least in engineering, most people get PhDs and don't go into academia. And then I know in the sciences, um, especially in biology. Uh, For some reason, it's ingrained in the science. I was physics as an undergrad. It's ingrained that, you know, if you don't become a professor, like, then somehow you failed, Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the wrong message, uh, because you can do amazing science with a PhD in industry, Um, and so I have these three as examples of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So they got their PhDs at different schools, and they're doing very different career paths
1: yeah it sounds like you've got a massive mix of people yeah it sounds really interesting sharing, yeah sharing what you can do with sort of the same degree but in loads of different ways
0: and is that loads open to ways. is that open yeah, to anyone or
2: yeah it's free it's open to anyone um if you go to my webpage there's a link that says phd workshop um and you can register you can start asking questions of the different panelists this Sunday yeah so if you can't actually attend in person then you can get your question answered because we're going to record it and then post the recording
0: awesome so yeah it's going to be held on the 8th of April apparently it says on your website cool
2: yes (laughs) yes And, and and it's free um so yeah
1: Excellent. That sounds really exciting. I'm sure you'll probably get loads of people from Cambridge tuning in now. Hopefully. Great. <laughs> awesome.
2: Oh, no.
1: great. I, I um, mean, uh, the more the merrier, right? So. Yeah, definitely. And very international. And yeah, it's the way science should be, I think. So thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's been really, really great to hear all about your perspectives you know, on science in general, and also your virtual conference.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to uh, the second uh, episode with Professor Andrea Armani, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. It was definitely really fascinating to learn about how an online conference can be successfully run completely virtually and, you know, some of the kind of ways that we can use the internet to overcome some of the accessibility barriers that, um, traditional conferences have and how hopefully the fact that now so many people are kind of being forced to consider these virtual platforms might actually be a good thing to see that and to take away some of that skepticism and see that actually maybe it is something that we can consider even when it's not necessarily the only option.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to set, set the stage for future online conferences. And and like many mm-hmm. was saying, you know, especially during this time of uncertainty, um, it. It's a great sort of leap forward in how the scientific community sort of interacts with each other.
0: And we'll be back next week with another episode of the pod. Well, actually, no, we'll probably be back in two weeks with another episode of the podcast. We've been on a roll, <laughs> releasing every week, but um, we we did say we're gonna do every two weeks, so I think it's it's time to go back to that. Um, but don't forget to follow us on Twitter uh, or subscribe to the podcast and follow it to show us you your support, but also so you can stay up to date and you know be informed whenever the new episode comes out.